Welcome. You're listening to The Hill by Thieves Theatre. I'm Gabrielle. I'm Nick, and we're thieves. Yes, well, not exactly thieves, but uh, beginning in 1981, we called ourselves Thieves Theatre, and we didn't just do theatre. We did conceptual guerrilla art projects, or what we called paratheatrical work. Our goal was to disrupt and alter the social and political status quo. Which really means we just like sticking sticks in anthills and watching the ants all scurry and adjust to their new reality. Their new status quo. Exactly. So today we're going to tell you about the brothers. Donald, Mike, Billy, and Eddie, or as I call them, the James Gang, which is what they reminded me of, like a throwback. Um, And then we'll tell you about Billy Toyota. So before that, a little pop quiz. In episode five, we were talking about the billboard on top of the adjacent building from the teepee and that it had a mortgage ad from Anchor Savings Bank when we got to the hill. And it said the year of the loan. Okay, you guys, I was looking high and low for a picture to prove that. And, you know, when this many years have passed, you're wondering if you're making all this stuff up. You know, you're counting on the fact that you've said it so often that it must have been true when you first said it. And I couldn't find a picture. I couldn't find a picture. I said, okay, whatever. And then just this morning, I saw that the picture is on the cover of my book, (laughs) which is also the logo for this podcast, the picture taken by the great Andrea Sturzing. Right. Um, so there it was. <laughs> I knew I saw uh, it somewhere. <laughs> I mean, there were a lot of pictures uh, of the hill, mostly taken by others. Uh, we are, ourselves weren't that great at it. Um, in fact, one of the projects we did with the residents involved uh, taking pictures of people taking pictures of the hill or the residents in the hill mm-hmm. usually. Before that, the, the, the residents used to throw rocks at the people, chasing them away. I mean, it was, uh, they felt like they were in the human zoo or something, um, in a closed encampment, just about on all sides. And uh, right. people came, and naturally, they started gawking at it. You know? Yes, especially when we became a, a, a tour group stop, right? Yeah, once we put the teepee up, yeah. we became that tourist attraction. So we armed the residents with disposable cameras. Right. And we'll, we'll tell you about that later in yeah, another yeah. episode. You know, but as, as far as our relationship with the people on the hill, with our neighbors went, it's important to understand that we were there to live among them, you know, to live with them. We weren't there to document them or to be some kind of reporter or outside observer. So, you know, we didn't ask them for their last names um, or about their stories or their background, and we didn't take pictures of them. We, again, were not there as documentarians. The whole point was to live side by side with them as equals. Uh, It's the very reason why we rejected doing workshops in homeless shelters when we were looking for ways to address the homelessness crisis in New York at the time. Right, right. So, you know, we didn't, yeah, we didn't, we didn't ask them their personal stuff just like you wouldn't your neighbors here, right? Right, imagine if the, the way you interact with neighbors or we interact now with our neighbors now. You don't pry or 
get into their business too much unless they're telling you something, you know. Everybody has their reason for being in their neighborhood. And, um, and if circumstances call for it, you ask about each other. Right. But other than that, you might take some pictures, but mostly you're not going to do that. You might have barbecues with them, right? right? Exactly. Or a block party. Exactly. <laughs> all, all of which we essentially did there. And, you know, you might even do art projects with your neighbors. Exactly. Uh, and um, we did all that. Yeah, all right. right. And, of course, they asked about us as well. Yeah. I mean, they wanted to know what we were up to. And we told them straight up who we were and what we were doing there that we were conceptual artists, um, theater people who wanted to get people thinking about all of these many homeless encampments that were all over New York City at the time mm -hmm. and wondering if perceptions changed maybe if you erected a teepee among huts, a teepee made out of 78 U.S. government mailbags. Does it get you thinking about the people living there, about the country, the country's past, the country's well, present? And, and I mean, they liked the idea, including the idea of disrupting things, putting a stick into an anthill. Yeah, and they loved things that. In, yeah. <laughs> and that's why they eventually let us put up the teepee. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they understood perfectly well what we were doing there and what we were trying to do, and we weren't pretending any anything else. Um, and that's... Because when you hung out there also, yeah. they started to trust you and to like you. And your aura, so to speak, <laughs> didn't exactly exude exp hoity-toity, exploitative, right. gentrifying no. Well, no, no. from on high, you know. <laughs> and by they, we mostly mean the brothers. There were four brothers from New Jersey that pretty much ran the place. Although they weren't constantly there or consistently there, they were in charge of everything. Uh, there was Billy and Donald and Mike and Eddie, the, the ones who reminded you of the James gang. Right. So. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, if you go to thievestheater.org slash overview, uh, you can see pictures there. There's one Polaroid with the three brothers where they really look like the James, the James gang. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In fact, that's what made me, you know, when I took that Polaroid, I was like, shit, this is a great photo. Yeah. It, it's for a photo for the ages, isn't it? It's, yeah, just, yeah. it's just incredible. Um, and then one picture with uh, brother Billy uh, himself. And I took those Polaroids of the residents because I was going to draw their portraits with oil sticks on mailbags. That was gonna be my court cards. You know, the court cards for my tarot deck were gonna be the residents uh, of the hill. So the kings, queens, jacks, and all of that, um, you know, th those were gonna be the residents. And um, and I, I couldn't make them sit for me. I tried once with yeah. Billy Toyota, and who actually, also, by the way, taught me to draw a little right, bit. You right, know, he right. learned how to draw in prison. Right. So he knew everything about everything, including drawing. Right. <laughs> right. So, but it, it was going to take too long. You know, right. they, they didn't have the patience. And frankly, I was too nervous because I was, I was learning how to do portrait drawing. And so I took Polaroids. Right. And I mean, these portraits eventually became the inner lining of the teepee. And everybody was really 
love these larger than life drawings of themselves, these portraits, you know. Yeah. They and they loved sitting around the fire pit and uh, with a nice fire gro- growing, you know, glowing up in them. Yeah. And their portraits all around sitting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Looking down on them like larger than life, you know, right. big sized heads and uh, like busts almost like you right know. so yeah that was really cool um the atmosphere was great but speaking of fires there were always lots of fires on the hill and during one of the fires uh, the teepee partially burned mm. and so did the portrait of the brothers half of that of the three brothers burnt away so i took that opportunity after patching the teepee, putting it back up again, uh, to also do sort of a patchwork and put all four brothers on one mailbag, which was really cool. So all of these four brothers were heroin addicts and HIV positive. As somebody else on the hill once said, you can imagine their mother, mine. But, okay, so on, on, on March 14th, I I pulled this from the journal. On March 14th, I wrote, Factoid, the James Gang, a.k.a. Eddie, Brother Billy, Mike, and Donald, have five brothers and three sisters. In other words, there were 12 of those little darlings, (laughs) all born one year apart. And, you know, I look at them, and I can't help but thinking that uh, they are somebody's little bundles of joy, little baby boys once, you know. We all start out in the same way. And Mike said at that time that he thinks that Billy may be, quote, losing heart as far as the stealing goes. Right. They're heroin addicts, so they, like the others, uh, Billy Toyota and, and Red, the heroin addicts, were thieves. Yeah, well, Brother Donald wasn't. He was probably the only one up on the hill who was a, a beggar. Right. Yeah. And on Thanksgiving, the day we put up the teepee, uh, he came in for a while and told us how how great begging was on Thanksgiving and other holidays. <laughs> the people tended to be a lot more generous. You know, he was sort of like a waiter. Talking about his tips. Yeah, talking about his tips. Well, one one guy gave him $20, he said. Plus, he sees celebrities sometimes. Yeah. Like he saw Don Johnson. Oh, yeah. Don Johnson came by one day and didn't give him money, but gave him his shirt off his back, so to speak. He gave him <laughs> his Hawaiian shirt, right? And it, he gave it to him saying to Donald, if I give you this, I don't want you to sell it. You have to keep it. And so Donald promised he wouldn't sell it and he was i remember he was proud to say that his son still had that shirt and wore it from right? don johnson don johnson's hawaiian <laughs> yes, shirt yes back right. then miami vice was all the rage and, yeah you know so that was that was a really big deal so of the four brothers billy was the one that was there most consistently he stayed with tito in his hut whereas the other three brothers had their own hut and uh, they only came occasionally. And not long after we got there, Billy stole something from somebody, from, from one of the other residents. And he left for a week or so. And by the time he came back, all was forgotten. 
if not completely forgiven, but that'll always stick with me, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, that was sort of the characteristic of, of the Hill. People lived in the present, you know, day to day. Life took a lot of energy. And uh, they didn't really waste time on grudges or anything. No, they were too busy coming up with 100 plus a day for their addiction alone. Right. So, but that, I don't know, I always found that kind of fascinating. As I was wondering, well, aren't you mad at them? And they're like, "Uh, about what? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was weird. Just like, okay, for example, they also didn't care care about current events at all. Uh, I once asked Billy if he could come up with a transistor radio because I told him I wanted to listen to the Persian Gulf War events that were going on at the time. Um, But he, like most people on the Hill, uh, that I asked about this, had no clue what I was even talking about. And... They didn't even know the basics. For example, Billy didn't know that Israel was a Jewish state. Right. So even just kind of the most fundamental things was completely irrelevant to them in their world. It's not so much that they ignored them. It just never came up in the first place. And I guess in some ways, you know, that's that's true for a lot of people. It's, It's a luxury of time to keep up with news and to keep up with politics, a luxury that a lot of people just don't have. Yeah, I, I remember um, early on, Billy came in to get some coffee. You know, he stepped into the teepee and get some coffee. Yeah, a lot of people came in for coffee. And we, we made what we used to call cowboy right. coffee. So there was a fire pit in the center of the teepee, and we would boil water in a pot Right. Throw the grounds into the pot, let it boil for a while, steep for a while, and then strain it into a coffee cup. Right. Well, you know, B- Billy was a all right kind of guy. He's very respectful. Probably what is it, mid thirties? Yeah, and you I know, smart, lean, very quiet and deliberate. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, a career criminal who looked apart, complete with like you know love and hate on his knuckles. You know, tattooed, tattooed in the, the jailhouse blue tattoos, and um, he told us the law was looking for him. He had gotten out of jail uh, recently, and he committed and pleaded guilty to burglary, which, you know, violated his parole. A little, you think? (laughs) Yeah, well, right. Especially after you plead guilty. (laughs) Well, in any case, he was supposed to get a job and uh, go into a drug program and instead uh, do all this before the sentencing, and instead he was just hiding out. He did have a wife and kids he was very proud of, though. Yeah, he was very proud of his wife and kids. In fact, it was so funny because he said his wife and his girlfriend got along, Hmm. and he had two kids, uh, each born a year apart on the same day, and then he had stepkids, his wife's kids, and he was always bragging about what great grades they were getting. But... One time, I was in the teepee with him listening to a Chicago Bears football game. I'm from, you know, we're both from Chicago, and um, I don't know how how that came about. Probably some big game, because I'm not normally a sports fan. So we were listening to it on that transistor radio that he got me, 
And he stayed around for a while afterwards, after the game, leaving the radio on. I remember playing, uh, you know, pretty loud because it it eased the tension mm. of him and me being alone and needing to have something to talk about. But it seemed like he he wanted to to you know to hang out, and that's when he told me about his his kids and his stepkids, and and that they were great, and that their teachers were really great. Unlike when they were in school, where they just passed you to get rid of you, and that nobody gave a damn what you did back in his day. And then he started talking about people backstabbing you, you know, people stabbing you in the back, and that the people on the hill here were all like that, and that you can't trust them. And I don't know what he was trying to get at, you know, but he just wanted me to know all this. And I said, well, it's a man's world up here, but as a woman... I have nothing but nice things to say about how the people treat me here and that they take care of me and that I feel completely safe. And then he said, well, it's been a long time since a quote-unquote decent woman was up here on the hill. And he asked me if I knew anything about any of the other women up here. And I said, no, no, that mostly, generally, they don't talk to me much. Yeah, he, he always said, said that he hated Sue because she abandoned the guy she was with who got sick uh, that it was a lie that she took care of him that other people fed him and everything like that yeah because she would always say that you know maybe it was her own guilt or something if billy was actually right yeah you don't know you if know. he was right she no taken you don't care. Yeah. i mean supposedly from him she was she found out that he died when everybody else found out that he died after he'd gone into the hospital yeah like a, a week, week week later week later yeah yeah so he felt the need to tell me all of this you know? right and he said that uh sammy used to beat lisa who was also a whore he said you know which sort of confirmed what we thought when she'd go out with makeup every morning and uh he also said how um Larry was so horrible to his girl, Eileen. And uh, yeah. yeah, I guess all just... Elaine. Elaine? Elaine? Yeah, Elaine? Elaine. Yeah, I mean... Um, we'll tell her about her later. She was a really sad case. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. So I think it was all just saying how good he was to, I guess, his wife and his girlfriend. Yeah, brother. that was probably the point of right. all that. Um, but he, he kind of gave the impression that he lost all sort of respect and sympathy for the women on the hill. Because of that, because mm -hmm. they they tolerated it and they put up with it, you know. And then we also talked about Tito, um, who at the time had a giant abscess. Oh, yeah, Tito. <laughs> yeah, that he wasn't dealing with. Um, and we'll talk about Tito as well. Um, and I mentioned, uh, I'm glad he brought him up, right? Because they stayed together in a hut. Right. And because uh, I said, look, somebody's got to do something. Um, with him or he's going to die and the idea that you feel helpless to do something and, and so therefore you do nothing feels totally like an excuse and Billy didn't have much to say about that he well, just went yeah. silent nobody yeah. had much to say about Tito I mean Tito was again you know everybody felt he was choosing his destiny uh, yeah the most prominent person on the hill was Eddie Right, let's stick to the brothers. We'll get to yeah. Tito and Sue right. and Elaine. Yeah, I mean, he really lo loomed large on the hill. He was always standing out in the yard, w greeting everybody who came in, <laughs> you know, making sure they were supposed to come in. Um, 
uh, he was so large that we were shocked when we finally met him, right? I yeah, mean, the lore, the lore of Eddie, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we thought he was going to be a hard-ass bully. I mean, I did, especially when yeah, I came Yeah, I did there. too. I was but, scared. But people referred to him as the washerwoman because the, how crabby he was all the time, you know. <laughs> yeah, mostly he was just a big crab ass. He wasn't at all. In fact, he was really funny, you know. Yeah. He was just like, really? This is what everybody's so scared of? Um, you know, a couple days after Thanksgiving, I wrote this in the journal. Met Eddie, the washerwoman, for the first time. He's about 45 and has open sores on his hand. He politely held out one finger in return for the hand I offered him. Uh, he has a complete cartoon face, hard symmetrical features dotting his hourglass face, and the clincher, a huge wart hanging off the tip of his left nostril. Very hard to keep your eyes off of while you're talking to him. It was just kind of dangling you know, off his nostril. Um, He's the growling, grumbling crab ass from Jersey that Nick was dreading because the teepee was very close to his hut. But he was in awe and didn't react badly at all when he saw it. In fact, Eddie is harmless, a big baby, cute. He's freaking out because he says, everything's changing so fast. I was only gone for four days and now a teepee's up, Tito's in jail, Billy's in jail. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he came inside for a while and let the open fire of the exaggerated indoor height of the teepee distract him. Yeah, Eddie was always uh, made everything so important, so earnest with his rendering of whatever was going on. <laughs> and, you know, his normal speech level was like what most people would consider a shout. Yes, you know? I remember one time standing in the, on a stool inside the teepee fixing the lining or something mm -hmm. and he came in to tell me something and I almost fell off my stool. <laughs> it was so loud. It's so intense. I mean, yeah, there were so many funny stories about, about Eddie. I mean, for example, he thought that the uh, little disposable cameras that we brought up there for everybody to use were... Uh, would take tiny pictures. <laughs> right. yeah, they wouldn't take big pictures because they were so small, you know. <laughs> and and uh, another thing was there was a Vietnamese, Vietnamese kid. Oh, my God, he that came was up, so funny. Yeah, he'd come up there every, every time Eddie was gone and sleep in Eddie's hut. And so Eddie would... <laughs> he didn't really care about Eddie's temper. He Oh Ed no, he was undaunted. Right. By Eddie. Eddie would scream at him, shout at him, get right. out of here, get out of here. And every time Eddie left, the kid would come back yep. and break into his hut and sleep in there, right? And I, I described it as my journal as Eddie being like Goldilocks's ugly sister being tortured. <laughs> right. And you know, I remember Red saying, Don't throw him out in the street. If he can't stay there, put him in my place. Another example of Red doing the right thing, which is why he was so respected on the hill. Eventually, Eddie allowed the kid to stay there. And then I think he started getting money from him yeah. or getting rent from you him. You can't beat him, join him, charge yeah. him rent, you know? Right. <laughs> okay, but the funniest, scene, uh, the funniest scene with Eddie involved Juan. Both Eddie and Juan had 
the intellect of roughly 12 year olds we told right. you about one the last episode good wood good wood yeah <laughs> um and on february 4th 1991 i wrote in my journal so this was a couple months after we put up the teepee the comedy routine of eddie and juan juan is in the teepee waiting for the coffee to boil he calls in eddie to take a stand to tell him which means mumble to him that he doesn't want Jenny staying with him in his hut anymore, selling blowjobs. Eddie screams at him that the only time he minds it is when he doesn't get a blowjob himself. And besides, he gets $20 a week for it, which incidentally, he better not try to collect more than once. And he better not beat up Jenny anymore or he'll get Wally to stab him. God these people um the the picture is eddie leaning over juan with a hand raised and screaming at juan cowering like a kid expecting to be hit then every time eddie leaves for the door juan tries to get the last word in so eddie has to turn around again and come back in back and forth back and forth every time eddie goes to the mm -hmm. door one says something else that makes eddie turn around so both of them are trying to get nixon my support for their side and meanwhile one eddie eddie walks to the door for a last time and pauses because one didn't say anything to stop him this time and then eddie turns around and says now don't say anything more when i'm going out that's it? That's it. They're like two grade school kids, complete with mommy at home, who's going to make it all better in the right. case of right. Juan, you know, because Juan's always saying, he's always saying, look, look, my mother gave me $5 for a crack, and always talking about his mother, you know. Right. He, he was like, what, 40 or something, yeah. Juan, you know. Um, yes, by the way, that day I also wrote in the journal, Ali says to Red, Hi, Red. I love you. And without missing a beat, Red says, hmm. Then why don't you come and see me more often? <laughs> I'm telling you. These people were so adorable in mm -hmm. their own way. Right. Another big presence on the hill was Billy Toyota. I mean, versus brother Billy. Right. Billy Toyota. He was uh, really smart. and I mean, not just street smart. He liked Red and the brothers were from Jersey. I think they were from the same neighborhood. I think they all knew each other yeah. from from the neighborhood. They were teenagers yeah. or something. And Billy Toyota got his name because as a teenager, he used to always steal cars, Toyotas, and pick up everybody for a joyride. Um, Billy Toyota hated cheap people, or he considered him not a cheap person, very generous person, right? And classy. And classy, yeah. He liked nice things. He stole for a living. and uh, He, too, was a heroin addict, HIV yeah, positive. Right. He stole for a living. He mostly broke into the trunks of cars. He sometimes went up to the airport and stole bags, but mostly he'd break into the trunks of cars and see what was in the trunk. And uh, this was living the life to him as opposed to, like, Donald begging. Yeah, know? he was another one like Ace, like... Uh, 
can't think of his name, Tony, you know, who abhorred beggars. Right. He, which it, meant, it was not manly. Which meant Donald for the most part. Which meant Donald for right. Yeah, I mean, he was the only beggar. But right. I, I guess they meant begging in general. But, right. Um, and sometimes Billy would give me stuff. Like one time he gave me uh, a book bag embroidered with somebody's initials on it. I forgot what the brand name is called, but it's a famous brand name. And I was conflicted about taking it, but then I did decide to accept it because it was a gift from Billy and he meant well. And I removed the embroidery. And on a side note here, because this will always stick with me too, one time my mother came to visit and before going home to our Brooklyn apartment with her, we de decided to... Uh, this was after we lived at the Hill, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. It was after it was over. Right. But she, we decided to stop at a restaurant in the East Village, and her trunk was in the back seat. I mean, her trunk, her suitcase was in the back seat. I remember. Yeah. Do you remember that? And I thought, oh, okay, it's too visible here. I'll put the suitcase in the trunk. And we went in and had dinner, and we drove home to Brooklyn, and I opened the trunk to get her suitcase out, and mm. it's gone. Yeah. So I just kept thinking about those guys on the hill. I mean, the hill was gone by then, but, you know, I, I kind of felt like, mm -hmm. okay, well, this is karma. My yeah. mother and I didn't have the best relationship, so it was really hard. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. you rolled right. your eyes, but that was a big part of right, right. why I remembered right. so well, you know. Um, so... Yeah, Billy was a real charmer, you know. He was really good-looking, and he always, though, I have to say, neither he nor anybody else on the Hill ever flirted with me or anything. Did They never forgot that I was, quote-unquote, Nick's girl. Right, right. They treated Always you. respected. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Billy was very inquisitive, and he was curious about everything, you know. And he acted sometimes like he didn't know something about yes. it. Yeah, but at the same time, he knew a lot about it. And we knew he knew about right, it, but right. we played along. Yeah. Because he just, wanted to keep the conversation going. Right, you know? right. Uh, the day we dedicated the teepee to Wounded Knee, we did the ceremony, we had a gathering, and we brought up some steaks to grill and um, over the open flame of the teepee uh, in the fire. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, brought salads and other sides. Billy chipped in $10, and he bought me a pack of cigarettes because I was always giving people cigarettes, and he bought me a pack. Yes, <laughs> and we'll get into why you started smoking another time. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> Billy took charge of the grilling because, of course, he knew how to, it was supposed to be done. Yes, he right. knew everything about everything. Billy right. knew everything about everything. So he, you know, he putting margarine over the steaks and cutting the edges, the fat off, cutting the fat so that steaks wouldn't curl up. And uh, he knew about grilling like he knew about everything else, right? right? <laughs> and uh, then he also, of course, after he gives you the cigarettes in the 10 box, has to talk about how cheap everybody else is on the hill, of yeah. right? Warning us that they'll take and take and take uh, unless you put a stop to it. He was always bad-mouthing everybody on the hill, partially also with good reason, because when we uh, first, uh, first got to the hill, he was gone and everybody thought 
he wasn't going to make it because he was HIV positive and they thought mm. he would die in jail. And, and so they took and divvied up all his stuff, you know? So mm. anyway, um, oh yeah. And during that ceremony, he was also one of a long list of people who ragged on me for buying Diet Coke right. and not Coke because I did not know this, heroin addicts, opioid addicts crave sugar. Uh, and he, you know, they, they were all going, what? Diet Coke? What's this? <laughs> right. And everybody there, we had been there about a month then or a little more. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were all reminiscing that about the time we moved up there and how they thought that I was a cop, right? Right. And I mean, I still, I think even at that time, about a month after we put up the teepee, they still believed that I was a cop. Yeah. And so they were sort of quizzing, saying, yeah, we thought you were a cop, Nick, thinking that I'm going to say, yeah, I'm a cop. Right, (laughs) or whatever. But yeah, I think they still kind of believed it for for a pretty long time. Um, By the way, they always called you Nicky. Yeah, right. (laughs) Nicky. So, no, Nicky. Nikki, yeah. They, 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 the emphasis on the second syllable, it always cracked me up. Nikki, Nikki. So when you were sick and they were saying, Nikki, you in right. there? Nikki. Right. Right. <laughs> um, another Philly, uh, Philly Toyota story that was really funny is that one time during one of the many fires on the hill and the fire department had to come, he came merrily sauntering into the teepee with a round metal grill type thing, um, which he thought was just perfect and that uh, we should have for the fire pit. The fact that there were 10 firemen around and an inferno blazing behind him uh, was only like a minor distraction, you know? Right. (laughs) I remember once somebody had given me some jewelry, I was showing it to Billy, and he thought it, it, it was probably leftovers it wasn't very valuable that's why they gave it to me but so i gave it to him and sure enough he went out and he, he fenced it anyway whatever so it must have been worth something well he fenced it and gave you that grill yeah that was the trade-off right, right. yeah right um when i first got there billy was toyota was in jail red and tony thought that he wasn't going to get out because he was going to die in jail because he was hiv positive and uh so they divided up the stuff. You already said that. They divided his stuff up. Yeah. And uh, when he got out, he wanted his stuff back, right? He didn't die in jail, and he got out, and he wanted his stuff back. And plus, they had lost the papers uh, that showed where his uh, wife and kid lived. And so he was really pissed off at that. Yeah, you that's know? right. You know, that, that was why right. he had just a lot of hard feelings, I think, mostly because of that, you know. And I remember um, Red saying about Billy Toyota later on, because I was just thinking, not only did he get out of jail that time, he went to jail a few more times after that. And you visited him at Rikers or tried to visit him. No, no, we visited him, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but Billy, I mean, Sam always said about, Jesus, Red... Oh, my God. Red always said about Billy Toyota that he was institutionalized. Right. Remember? Because every time he was out for a while and it looked like he 
readjusted to life outside. He did something that got him busted again. Well, he was always thieving, and, you know, he was danger. You know, he was going to get caught every time. And, I mean, yeah, institutionalized, yeah. He was in jail more than anybody else. But Red implied that he actually wanted to the structure of prison. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. He got out so many times because they they all used uh, false aliases. Yeah, I know. One time he went by Billy Laura. Right. And Billy Laura had a record, but not as bad as whatever Billy Toyota's real name was, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And again, we didn't ask anybody their last names. You know, you don't go to your neighbors and ask them, hey, what's your last name? You know, unless there's a reason. Right. So another event involved Sammy. One time while I was writing inside the teepee um, about a month after that dedication ceremony, I got interrupted by some commotion. This just gives a little more insight into Sammy also, who we talked about the last time. Sammy saw somebody get mugged at the corner phone booth, and he ran after the guys and called the cops. And Billy Toyota and some of the other guys got really annoyed at Sammy Mm. because they were afraid that whoever did that mugging was part of this local gang called Born to Kill that everybody... I guess was scared of, but they had just robbed a jewelry store down the street on Canal Street, was the word. And they were afraid that that gang was going to come after them on the hill, um, you know, if they didn't stay out of their business, especially if they called the cops on them Mm -hmm. for something. But Sammy came back after a while really angry and frustrated, and he said he had a sister that got killed during a mugging, and he couldn't let people get away with it. He couldn't let it stand. Right. Well, you're probably getting a sense of the of the hill and how complicated and the dynamic was up there. Everything was going on. The gangs you mentioned, there were all there were all these gangs fighting for the drug trade. Yeah. Not just born to kill. There were. Well, we'll get into the gangs later. Episodes. We'll get into the gangs. We'll get into the cops. And yeah. The corruption scandal going on at the and, time. Right. And you know and. The general community of New York City at that time in the early 90s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you're starting to get a taste of that. And by the way, crime peaked in the 90s, in the early 90s. The year we moved into the teepee, both in the city and nationally, it peaked. In fact, in 1990, there were the highest number of homicides in New York recorded on record 2245 homicides mm. in 1990 the year we moved into the hill that's compared to 418 homicides in 2022 so just a little reality check about the so-called spike in crime and how dangerous the city is now right right so we'll continue in the next episode we'll cover more of the residents and um I guess also talk about how I got arrested, yes. which was happened just, what, a week after we got in there? Yeah. Or yeah. less than a week? Yeah. So again, thanks for listening to the Hill by Thieves Theater. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell so that you know when our next episode is coming out. And check out our website at thievestheater.org, where you can also buy Gabrielle's uh, book and sign up for our mailing list. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TP on the Hill. That's T-I-P-I on the Hill. Um, Thanks for listening. Thanks. Till next time.